What is up, everyone? My name is OJ Tucker, host of the OJ Tucker podcast, the only comedy tennis podcast that talks about a political and societal culture as a whole. My name is OJ Tucker, as the name would suggest. Happy Thursday. Hopefully, you guys are getting ready for your weekend, spending time with your family, your friends, watching the ATP 250 tournaments that are happening this past, that this weekend as well. There's a little bit of news that we can get into for today in terms of news outside of the tennis world. I do want to discuss Ron DeSantis' car accident. Obviously, it's not that important. He turned out fine but i do want to discuss it and the overall likelihood of ron DeSantis being a viable threat to john donald trump for the 2024 election why there is a surge in popularity for vivek ramaswamy as well as nikki haley and other individuals that have been catching some steams catching some wind uh because of the fact that ron DeSantis has not been that charismatic i would say on the campaign trail so i do want to discuss all that with ron DeSantis not being able to really compete for the election and i think at this moment in time i just want to see the debates i think that's what's really important i don't know at what time period the debates were for 2016 but it feels like we're on a slower pace than that so hopefully in the next month or two i would i would love to see the start of the debates because that's when everything will get interesting but ron DeSantis is correct and i do want to discuss it and the overall implications that it has in terms of his likability and threat to the primary for the Republican nominee for the Republican nomination. So yeah, I do want to discuss all that. Uh, also, I want to discuss Joe Rogan turning down multiple Donald Trump requests to have him on his podcast. This was from the NY Post. There have been a lot of rumors as to whether or not Donald Trump would appear on the Joe Rogan podcast. He's had many other politicians on before, whether it's RFK Jr., Andrew Yang, Tulsi Gabbard. Bernie Sanders, just to name a few, but he's never had Donald Trump on. And it's come to light that Joe Rogan has decided to turn down many requests from Donald Trump to have him on his podcast. And overall, I, I do think that's a good thing. I do think that that is the right decision. Now, obviously, things can definitely change in the next few weeks, months to come. But for now, I think don't have him on. But again, Things can definitely change, and if if he's still within the cycle of still being the leader and the nominee, then obviously do have him on because he is a political figure, he is a politician, and his words, his actions do make influence, as we've seen from 2016 to 2020. So overall, I think this will be something that he will have to decipher on and really focus on heavily. Um, so yeah, overall rogan turning down trump's request i'll talk more about that but first let's get into some tennis news all right so obviously there's not been that much that's been happening over the past few days so obviously the last time i spoke to you guys uh, i recapped the norday open between andre rublev and casper rude with andre rublev winning in straight sets and obviously congrats andre rublev for that however there have been a few other tournaments that have been since happening since that day more focus on ATP 250 events such as the atlanta open uh, I think the Hamburg Open also is happening this past week. If not, forgive me if I'm wrong, but there are a few other ATP 250 events that are currently happening. And while I could spend my time focusing on that, there are also bigger tournaments that are on the horizon as well. And as we all know, we're entering into the U.S. Open schedule of the ATP season. And there's been a few tournaments that have been sort of synonymous with that major such as the City Open, the Rogers Cup, 
and the Western Southern Open. Two of those are ATP 1000 events, meaning the prize money is bigger and the quality competition is much more, such as the Rogers Cup and the Western Southern Open. But one is an ATP 500 event, such as the, which is the City Open, that also gets a certain amount of competition as well. Maybe not as big as a prize money as, say, Rogers Cup and Western Southern Open, but still, it still has that ability to attract marquee stars. And for me right now, I'm interested in documenting the next month or so in tennis in regards to this topic. And I think when you think about players that have been in the thick of it beforehand and have been able to find some success within these tournaments, I think it's a good precursor to know what's going to happen at the U.S. Open based off what will happen in these smaller subsequent tournaments. And let's start off with the City Open first and foremost. So obviously the City Open happens in D.C. Um, and throughout all these tournaments, not just the City Open, but Western Southern Open, Rogers Cup, Novak Djokovic will not be able to play. As we've seen before, whether it was his interview with Prakash Amritaj on uh, the Tennis Channel or just in press conferences in general, he's made it very abundantly clear that his focus has been on majors, not so much on ATP 1000 events and ATP 500 events. So having known all that, I think with the City Open and in terms of my overall predictions of the City Open, I think... Right now, there are a few individuals that have the best chance of winning at the City Open. For me right now, assuming that his knee is okay, I assume or I predict that Nick Kyrgios will do well at it. I, I do think that Nick Kyrgios has, I mean, he's been a repeat City Open winner. I mean, last year he won the City Open. I feel I feel like a few years prior he also won. So he's, he's a multiple City Open champion right now. And right now, I, if he's able to be healthy... If he's able to get his knee fixed out because he was sidelined from Wimbledon because of his knee, and I think French Open as well because of his knee. So once he comes back and if he's able to play, then I do think that Nick Kyrgios has that chance to win it. You know, I, I really do think Nick Kyrgios has a chance to win it. Now, again, that's if he's healthy, though. If he's not healthy, then obviously it's wide open for anyone to win. Um, Obviously, Alcaraz as well. I mean, that's the elephant in the room that I did not mention. But Alcaraz also has a chance to win the City Open if he so chooses to play that tournament. I mean, we've seen him play last week on, on that clay tournament, at that clay tournament, a few days after his only win. So obviously, he's going to be primed to compete for these smaller tournaments because he's still young. He's still trying to vie for his spot at these Grand Slams. Not so much Djokovic or Nadal, but because of the fact that he's still 20 years of age, you know, his focus is still on making sure that he's able to compete at these majors. And that comes in part with understanding or having that basis of being able to be eligible for these majors. And if, to do so, you got to win. you got to do well at these smaller tournaments. So obviously, Carlos Alcaraz, in my opinion, also has a great chance of winning the City Open. So right now, it's Kyrgios and Alcaraz. Obviously, things can definitely change for the City Open. You know, Medvedev can really show himself up in that. Um, Zverev could. Um, I wouldn't put a pass. Tsitsipas as well. You know, these are the names and individuals that have done well on hard courts beforehand. So 
it could be any of those players, but for me personally, I would stick with Kyrgios and Alcaraz. Now, obviously, there's the Rogers Cup. And for me, I really love the Rogers Cup. I think it's a really great tournament. I mean, I, I first came to uh, to knowledge of the Rogers Cup back in 2015, 2016, when I saw Andy Murray win it. And I'm like, oh my God, this is just a beautiful tournament. The, the, the trophy is chic. Um, you know, it's just a nice two weeks of just Toronto, Canada tennis. It's it's a nice feeling when you watch the Rogers Cup. I'm not going to lie. It's a very nice feeling to watch the Rogers Cup. But in terms of the Rogers Cup, I think in terms of who has the best chance to win, um, obviously Alcaraz. I mean, how can you not include Alcaraz nowadays? But also Daniel Medvedev. Uh, I feel I, I feel as if Medvedev has won this tournament beforehand, if, if, I, if my memory serves me correctly. Uh, and not only that, but these are these individuals, these two individuals, have won the U.S. Open. You know, that's something that I don't think people really remember. You know, when you think about Daniel Medvedev, he won against Novak Djokovic in the final at the U.S. Open. And with Carlos Alcaraz, he won it last year against Kasparud. So, again, these are no joke of a player. I mean, obviously, Alcaraz is on his way up, right? He's a multi-grand slam winner at the age of 20. That's crazy. But with Daniel Medvedev, he's won a major four. And people don't want to maybe acknowledge it because it took away from Djokovic's golden slam, I guess. But he still won a major. So the fact that one person out of that cohort of players from the Zverev team, Sitsipas cohort has won at least one major, that to me is an accomplishment. And that matters a lot because that experience does carry on with those smaller tournaments. And based off of your able, your ability to play in those bigger tournaments, that carries a lot of weight in terms of how you're able to process yourself within those small tournaments because it's a very different dynamic. Because when you're playing in a small tournament, you know the crowd size isn't that big. They don't really have that much of a ability to sway your mentality for tennis or for your play, and that can affect you. So with Medvedev, I do think that he has the best chance to win the, win the Rogers Cup, and it's because of the fact that he's been successful at those bigger tournaments. I, obviously, the Rogers Cup is an 81,000 event. It's a it's a big tournament, but he's succeeded at the majors. He succeeded at the U.S. Open. He's had individuals boo and jeer him for the simple fact of being Russian. He's had individuals just boo and jeer him because of the fact that he was unlikable on court or whatever that may be. I don't I don't know what that means anymore. I don't know what being unlikable on court means anymore. I really don't. If, if it doesn't feature... If a player doesn't have racket smashes or show any temper tantrum on court, I don't know why you would ever resort to hating on another tennis player. It makes no sense to me. But I do think that his success at these majors, specifically or particularly in particular the U.S. Open, will affect how he plays at the, this ATP 1000 event. And I assume that he will also have the best chance to win alongside Alcaraz to win the Rogers Cup. Now let's get into the last ATP 1000 event before the major. And that is the Western and Southern Open. I It's a toss-up. Who knows who will win? Maybe Zverev, maybe Medvedev, maybe Alcaraz. Who knows? Sorry for the sneeze. But who knows? You know, who knows who will win the Western and Southern Open? Again, I feel as if that's the one tournament before the U.S. Open that doesn't really get that much attention. And I understand why, right? Because it's the final tournament before the U.S. Open. It's the final major tournament before the U.S. Open. You know, it is a toss-up. If you look at the history of winners at the Western Southern Open, you'll be like, oh, my God, like all these players... They've done well before, and they've ha- they've shown that they can succeed 
at the at the U.S. Open. But in terms of making sure that they they can be formidable in terms of you know using this as a precursor for the U.S. Open, it's quite different. It's quite difficult to really pinpoint that and to really gauge a person's success at the U.S. Open based off their success at the Western Southern Open. You know, I mean, let's let's look at the the, the winners right here. I have it all pulled up. Borna Korg won in 2022. Was he that great at the U.S. Open? I mean, I, I don't assume so. I mean, I don't think so. Um, you also have Alexander Zverev, right? I mean, he was out in the second round. You know, Borna Korg was out in the second round of the U.S. Open. Uh, you also have Alexander Zverev. You know, he lost on uh, he won against Andre Lubeck 6-2, 6-3. Uh, he did not win the 2021 U.S. Open. Um Novak Djokovic won in 2020. Um, obviously, that was the COVID year, so not that important, I would say. Uh, and Zero, I mean, Dominic team ended up winning the US Open anyway. So, um, you know, Daniel Medvedev won 2019. He did not win the 2019 US Open. So, overall, it's a toss up. Who knows who will win? Um, but overall, what I can uh, say is that this next next month for tennis will be pretty interesting. It will be pretty interesting. I won't say it will be exciting. Uh, I won't promise you that. That's a that's a big thing to really fill in. That's th- Those are big shoes to fill in. To, to be excited about it is a big shoe to fill in. But overall, I'm, I'm interested. I'm interested to see what will happen. Anything can really happen right now because Nadal is out due to injury. I, who knows if he'll be back. I, I honestly don't think he'll be back. Kyrgios, I mentioned that he might be able to play the City Open. The more that I think about it, the more doubtful I am of that. Um, so again, I, th- I think in terms of parity within tennis, I mean, it's Djokovic and Alcaraz and the rest of the field. I mean, that's what the woman in final solidified. It's Djokovic and Alcaraz and then the rest of the field. And while these other players are really talented and great and, and can really showcase their talents in ways that other players just simply can't, that distinction will be cemented in the next two tournaments. Obviously, Djokovic is not playing in these tournaments, but in terms of that division, that separation of church and state between Alcaraz and Djokovic versus the rest of the field, that will be evident for the next few weeks to come. And I feel as if these players need to really catch up because that gap is being widened more and more and more and more the less they're able to, to really succeed and do well at these tournaments. Uh, when you really think about Daniel Medvedev, right, he can be in that upper echelon of players alongside Djokovic and Algaraz. We haven't been able to see that over the past few months or so because him doing well on hard court or his play on hard court is way different than his play on, on grass and clay. So hopefully for the next few months to come, we're able to see Daniel Medvedev really break into that mole of being able to compete with the likes of Djokovic and Alcaraz. But as of now, I mean, you would be remiss if, if you didn't at least have Alcaraz and Djokovic as your favorites for the U.S. Open. Because they are the most likely to win, you know. I mean, we've seen Dominic Team win the U.S. Open beforehand. We've seen Zverev have success at the U.S. Open. We've seen Tsitsipas also have success at the U.S. Open. Uh, but... Their lack of success on that court really shows you that there is a dif- there is a difference between those who are 
really good at playing tennis versus those who are really elite at playing tennis. And I consider Alcaraz and Djokovic to be elite tennis players. You know, again, I really do think that Tsitsipas, Daniel Medvedev, they're great tennis players. I'm not, I'm not mistaking them for that. They're really good at, at playing tennis, uh, better than I am. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I sucked at playing tennis. But again, there is a difference between the Alcaraz and Djokovic of the world versus that of, say, Medvedev and Tsitsipas. And I'm not saying that Medvedev can't enter that Alcaraz and Djokovic role. He just needs to pace himself and allow him to do well at these tournaments and more specifically at the US Open so that he can be in that conversation. And also I think that he has to really show himself either on the French Open or Wimbledon that he can peak that he can compete outside of say that of just hardcourts. You know, because that is an issue of that is a cause of concern for Medvedev. So yeah, overall, I mean those are my that's those are my predictions for the next few for the next month for tennis. You know, if you have any comments, questions in regards to uh, your overall predictions, then let me know in the comments below because I really want to hear your thoughts on it. Um, but, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to be a realist here. I'm trying to be realistic here. Um, there is not that much parody in tennis. There, There's just not that much parody. In, in men's tennis, that is. For women's tennis, it's different. You know, anyone can do well. You know, we've seen the success... Uh, Bianca Andreescu, we've seen the success of Naomi Osaka, we've seen the success of Alberto Lacanu, Leila Fernandez. We've seen individuals like those, like the, those players that I mentioned, who've had, who have had one at the major level beforehand. But where are they now, right? I mean, Naomi Osaka, where is she? I, I don't know where she is. Maybe she's crying over the fact that she was a part of that NFT pyramid scheme, and, what, and no one called her out on it. Which is kind of weird, right? Like, wasn't she a part of that NFT scheme? And all of these athletes were called out. You know, Brady was called out. Shaq was called out. You know, all of these players were called out. All of these athletes were called out. But Naomi Osaka's name was never really drawn up, which is crazy to me. Like, you would think that a person that's attached to an NFT scheme like that would at least be acknowledged, right? I mean, let me look it up right now to see if I'm not like... Yeah, she has an NFT collection. And her name was not at all mentioned at all <laughs> like when people were mentioning athletes they mentioned all the heavy hitters right but they never mentioned Naomi Osaka why is that the case right so Naomi Osaka I, I guess she's crying over, over NFTs maybe she has to take another, another mental health break because she's had a loss in her NFTs I don't know uh Bianca Njitsko she's out she's injured Emma Raducanu I don't know where she is at maybe she's focused on modeling who knows uh Leila Fernandez I mean she didn't really do well after the US Open so I don't want to pick on her too much but I mean where are these players now you know where are these players now so with the women's tennis, there's parity, and that's great. I support that 100%. I honestly think women's tennis at this moment in time is a little bit more interesting on like the week one level of it. Obviously, when you enter the finals, it's men's tennis through and through. But uh, when you enter the final week of majors, it's men's tennis. But like those early round matches at the women's tennis level, literally anything can happen. And I think that's a great thing. Um, so overall, who knows what will happen for women's tennis. But... I will say that there's a lack of parity within men's tennis. And a lot of people will say that's a bad thing. Honestly, I think it can be a good thing, though. I mean, I think having a villain is important in sports. In professional sports, having a villain is important. You know, I mean, for a long time, Tom Brady and the New England Patriots were a villain for a lot of people in the NFL. They're like, oh, my God, this team again on Super Bowl Sunday? Really? 
this team, this Deflategate, Spygate team is back in the Super Bowl? Yeah, they are. You know why? Because every team cheats, right? Every, every indoor football team pipes in crowd noise to benefit their own team, right? Peyton Manning had Jim Mercer change the rules after the 2005 season because the New England Patriots were just steamrolling them, right? So it's not... It's having a villain is important for sports, right? LeBron James with the Miami Heat, big time villain, especially early on. You know, I mean, and then you saw him lose against the Dallas Mavericks in in a five game series, six game series. And you're like, oh my god, this guy can lose. You know, so having a villain is important for pro sports. You know, everybody outside of LA hated the Los Angeles Lakers in the early 2000s because of the, because of the success of Kobe and Shaq. So, again, having a villain is important for sports. And I think right now Djokovic occupies that. And Alcaraz is the hero to that. You know, I mean, it's a very sort of Batman-Joker sort of dynamic between Joker and Alcaraz. No pun intended there. No pun intended. But there is a there is a very much sort of like a superhero kind of... Uh, Superhero-supervillain kind of rivalry between them. Because the audience, they really hate Djokovic. I mean... Whether it's at Wimbledon uh, this past year, obviously I, I remember the Let's Go Joker chance that happened in the third or fourth set of that match. But uh, I mean, they 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 uh, they they don't have that much love for Djokovic at Wimbledon at center court. I don't think they have that much love for Djokovic at Philippe Chatrier. I feel as if Arthur Ashe, they're sort of lukewarm on Djokovic. Um, it's sort of a mixed reaction, I would say. I think that's the best way you can put it for Djokovic at Arthur Ashe. But, I mean, for Margaret Court Arena, I guess that's the main stadium at Austrian Open. I think that if my memory serves me correctly, I think that's the main. They're sort of... They were supportive of Djokovic last major final against Daniel Medvedev. So, um, but again, he's playing against Medvedev. So that does matter a lot. But overall, um, I really think that there's a lack of parity within tennis. And overall, I think that's that can be a good thing. That can be a good thing. Um, but anyways, those are my overall thoughts. I sort of went a little bit overboard on the topic, but I feel as if that's important for me at least talk about it ad nauseum because it's it's overall my predictions on it. You know, So might as well sp- spend a decent amount of time talking about it. Let's get into our next topic, though. Let's get into our next topic, shall we? Let's get into our next topic. So Joe Rogan has turned down multiple requests by Donald Trump to have him on his podcast. And a lot of people will say, oh my God, Joe, why are you not doing this? This is great for your numbers. Don't you know how this could be great for your numbers? Obviously, he knows that, right? He knows that, right? In fact, he already has good numbers to begin with. In fact, Spotify increased their amount of users once they announced Joe Rogan would be a part of their Spotify team a little over three years ago, right? So he knows that having Trump will do numbers for his podcast. But I think that for now, as of now, I think this is the right thing to do because, and let me just get right into the article. I mean, I, I feel like before I, I get into the my overall opinion on, on this, or before I break down why I think this is a good move, I want to at least acknowledge the, the backstory behind it. So, this is from the New York Post. Joe Rogan keeps turning down Trump's request for podcast interview report. I wonder who report. I wonder who gave this. I wonder who tipped off the New York Post for this. It 
probably wouldn't be Donald Trump Jr., right? It wouldn't be the guy who is, you know, you know, chronically online and uh, can't lay off uh, the white powder, right? Uh, it can't be him, you know. Could, certainly couldn't be him. Anyways, Joe Rogan has turned down numerous requests from Donald Trump's camp to interview the former president on his popular Spotify podcast, according to a report. Rogan has stated he's not a Trump supporter and that he has no desire to give the 45th president a platform, even though a large chunk of the podcast, 11 million listeners, do support the Republican frontrunner. Um... I don't know if a large chunk of them, you know, support Donald Trump. There's a decent chunk. I feel like that's a better way of uh, wording it. But a large chunk. I mean, I'm a Rogan listener. I don't support Trump. You know, like I don't support any candidate to be honest with you, because uh, I, I think they're all bought and sold out, and you know, care to big money donors. And why focus or partake in an uh, activity that I know is corrupt and rigged from the start? You know, why do that? Uh, but I don't know if, if a large chunk of his listeners are supporting Trump. Anyways, however, the two were seen shaking hands during a recent UFC fight in Las Vegas. Trump urged his advisors to explore further avenues for a sit-down. The Daily Beast reported. One of Trump's informal advisors, Roger Stone, has reportedly offered to engage Rogan in a UFC-style cage match in hopes of enforcing the podcaster to interview the former president, according to the news site. The mere discussion of Donald Trump on a blockbuster podcast like Joe Rogan builds a remarkable audience, a Trump advisor told the Daily Beast. Rogan, who has faced his own criticism for spouting COVID conspiracies, has said in the past he has no desire to indulge Trump. I'm not a Trump supporter in any way, shape, or form, Rogan told the podcaster Lex Friedman last year. I've had the opportunity to have him on my show more than once. I've said no every time. I don't want to help him. I'm not interested in helping him. On his own podcast last year, Rogan referred to Trump as a man-baby while speculating that the current Republican frontrunner may be using Adderall. Uh, I don't know why I had that screenshotted and put in my notes, but it is what it is. Um, overall, I think having Trump on Rogan would be great. Um, for now, I understand why he's not having him on his podcast because I feel as if we're still a little bit far out from the election and more specifically from the primary. And to have Trump on this early, for me, I feel as if Trump will do everything in his power to not really mention anything political. You know, I recently watched this podcast that Trump was featured on uh, where Matt Sarah and Jim Norton had him on their podcast. And it was like a UFC podcast. UFC uploaded on their UFC YouTube channel. And throughout the entire podcast, they avoided anything political. Now, obviously, that was intentional, right? Because it is a UFC podcast. The UFC uploaded on their own channel. But I do think that if you're running for president, you've got to at least be asked some questions that are political and that do have some weight to your campaign and just to the world in general because your policies will affect the world in one way shape or form obviously when you're in office things can definitely change right you know the cia can take you out back and can show you the jfk assassination from a different perspective you know but in terms of running for president in terms of getting people to vote for you your policies do matter and in order for you to be on a podcast, if you are a presidential candidate, your policies must be discussed. And for me, I think right now, the focus should be on that, right? If you're going to have Trump on your podcast, you got to at least talk about some form of policy. You know, talk about his overall indictments, talk about his overall beef with the White House, with the chief of staff, with Biden. You have to at least address something political because to have like a fluff piece or a fluff interview with with Trump at this moment in time, I don't think that's beneficial. Um, 
I'm not saying you can't talk about UFC with Trump. I'm not saying you can't talk about MMA with Trump. I'm just saying you got to add some form of questioning in it so that it's worth people's time, right? To hear Trump on a UFC podcast just talking about MMA, I mean, I don't mind it. I really don't mind it. I'm just saying that if you, but if you are running for president, at least ask some questions that are uh, that are of substance. And I think right now to have Trump on your podcast or to have him on anyone's podcast, while it'd be great numbers wise, I don't think that there'd be that much substance to be taken away from unless you're asking him really political questions that that do carry weight. And and for a lot of podcasts now, I, I don't think that's the case. Now things can definitely change and hopefully Brogan can have Trump on his podcast because I do think that having Trump on your podcast is great, but especially Rogan. I think Rogan is an elite interviewer. I think he's one of the best right now in terms of interviewers or interviewees, no interviewers right now. I think he's one of the best to ever do it. Uh, it's Rogan. It's Sean Evans from Hot Ones. And it's everyone else. Right? Like In terms of people that ask great questions, it's Joe Rogan and it's Sean Evans from Hot Ones. There's literally no one else. There's no one else. Maybe Sagar and Jetty. Maybe the the Breaking Points team, I guess. I, I assume maybe. I mean, they're good. But in terms of like great, it's Joe Rogan and Sean Evans. And that's our modern day landscape for entertainment it is those two avenues. Is a guy who makes you eat chicken wings where the sauces get abnormally hot and it's one guy where you have to act like you care about MMA for three hours on this podcast. That's like our cultural landscape for today <laughs> is those two avenues. Um, but that, that is what it is. It is what it is. That's, that is the internet for you. Um, so anyways, back to the discussion. I would love to see Trump on Joe Rogan's podcast. I mean, to see him on Rogan, you know, having a debate with Joe Biden where, you know, they just pull out the cigars, he pulls out the weed, you get Eddie Bravo on, you know, Eddie Bravo peddles some conspiracies that he, I mean, I miss Eddie Bravo. I wish Eddie Bravo could be on Joe Rogan again, because I really, honestly, God, miss that guy. He was so great on his podcast. I don't know where he's at right now. I really don't know where he's at. But I really do miss Eddie Bravo on Rogan, because he was just so hilarious. To see his overall back and forth with Alex Jones about how China is making carbon-based life forms or whatnot and labs. That was, honest to God, the funniest moment on that entire podcast. Just seeing the overall back and forth between Alex Jones and Eddie Bravo during that entire exchange, there's nothing better than that. It was honestly the best thing I watched on that podcast. And I, I think that happened like over four years ago, I think, four years ago, if my, if my memory serves me correctly. I miss that. I miss that so much. I really do miss it. But anyways, I would love to have Trump on Rogan. Like, that would be awesome to watch. I would drop everything in an instant to watch it. Uh, to see the conversation between the two of them would be great. Uh, I know Rogan entertained the idea of having a debate between Trump and Biden on his podcast. And honestly, after seeing that Chris Wallace debate that happened, that first debate that between Biden and Trump where there was no audience and seeing the two just go back and forth, I'm like, this could have easily been just a podcast. Because that's what it felt like. It felt like a podcast, but less constructive, less informative, less engaging. Uh, so yeah, overall, yeah, Trump on Rogan would be a delight. 
I would really love to see that. And honestly, I think the questions would be great because that's what I assume, I expect from Rogan. Um, but yeah, I think now to have Trump on your podcast, it, it, it's good. I mean, I'm not going to lie. It's great for, you know, subscribers and, and YouTube views. But if it's not based in asking him actual questions and constructive questions and questions that pushes him back and makes him reassess his overall message or, or just questions that are of substance. You know, if, if, if it's not based on that, then what's the purpose of having him on your podcast? You know, I really don't understand the reasoning behind that. You know, again, no hate or now, again, I don't want to hate on anybody that has trouble on their podcast, right? I understand he's great for ratings, right? I understand all that. But for me personally, if you're going to have a presidential candidate on, you got to ask tough questions, you know? And I think that's why Breaking Points has been doing really well lately. Obviously, I think they messed up with their original RFK Jr. Uh, interview, right? They messed up on that. But overall, Doug Burzum, they went after Doug Burzum a lot. They met, they went after uh, Vivek Ramaswamy a lot. Um, they had RFK Jr. again, and they did a better job. Um, they've been doing a really good job in interviewing presidential candidates. So hats off to Sagar and Crystal. They, they, they're they doing a really good job over there um, because the overall the overall questions that they ask and the overall follow-up questions that they ask, you can really tell that they want to get to the mean potatoes of it. And some candidates offer that. You know, I feel like Vivek Ramaswamy does that. I feel as if RFK Jr. does that. And then you see other candidates that don't really do that, such as Dick Burzum and uh, other individuals that fit that mold of being neocons slash libertarians that will do everything that the deep state tells them that will do everything that the alphabet agencies tell them to do you know and won't won't offer any sort of pushback or clarity on that but just focus on pushing what their donors tell them and what goldman sachs tells them and for trump he was no different it's important to say that he was no different. Trump was no different than all those other Republicans. He was basically did the same thing that as Mitt Romney would do or Jeb Bush would do during his four years in office. There's really no difference between Donald Trump between 2016 and 2020 versus that of, say, Jeb Bush and Mitt Romney. But I do think that if you're going to have these people, you got to ask the tough questions. And you can't just huff around and BS and, you know, have fun. You, you just can't. You know, they're running for leader of the free world. All right? Even... Rogan asked Kanye questions about his presidency because he understood that if I'm going to have a presidential candidate on, even though he's not taking it seriously, I still got to make sure that I ask the tough questions. And he did that. So I think that's important. I'm sorry, guys. My nose is out of wax here. My, my apologies here. My, I'm very, very sorry that you hear that. You hear that. Anyways. I think that's all that there is for that topic. Uh, I would love to see Rogan on. I would love to see Trump on Rogan, and I think it would be great numbers wise. But I think it would be even better if we had Trump with the rest of the Republican candidates, and you just gave them all SM, you know, sure SM, seven B microphones, and just let it rip. That would be awesome. That would be hilarious. We just saw. Nikki Haley, Vivek, DeSantis, Asa Hutchinson, Doug Burzum, and the rest of the other individuals that are running, Tim Scott, Mike Pence. If you all just gave them sure SM7Bs around that round table and you all just duped it out, 
that would be hilarious. I mean, it will be inaudible. You wouldn't hear anything. It would be great to have like a timer to have people like have like a rebuttal or their overall statements on set things. But that would be one of the most hilarious things ever. And you're just seeing like the back and forth. Oh my god! I mean, if 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 ChatGPT isn't creating like a a a fake roundtable discussion between Rogan and the rest of the RNC candidates, then I don't know what you're doing. I really don't know what you're doing. Uh, but yeah, that, that's that's what I would we'll love to have. Anyway, so let's get into our next topic here, shall we? From Trump to an individual that's mimicking mimicking Trump. Uh, Ron DeSantis was involved in a car accident on Tuesday in Tennessee. Obviously, um, not good news uh, for anybody. Um, put politics aside, to, to see anybody in a car accident, not great. Um, except if it's if it's your mortal enemies, then I guess cool. But uh, overall, he was involved in a car crash in Tennessee yesterday, um, and this is from the New York Times. So DeSantis involved in a car crash in Tennessee. He is unhurt. The crash occurred in Chattanooga as Mr. DeSantis and his team were traveling to a fundraiser there, a spokesman said. Um, Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida was involved in a car crash in Chattanooga, in Tennessee, and in Chattanooga, Tennessee, on his way to a fundraiser there on Tuesday. I'm assuming he's meeting with mega donors and, and with uh, super PACs because that's what DeSantis is. He's just a creation of super PAC and donor money. Do not think otherwise. That is Mr. DeSantis in a nutshell. That is President DeSantis in a nutshell. It's just an amalgamation of super PAC money and donor money. That's all he is. That, that is all that he is. He is a creation of what people project him on. He is nothing more, nothing less. He is the spoiler candidate for Donald Trump. What Elizabeth Warren was for Bernie Sanders in 2020, that is DeSantis for Trump. Do not think otherwise. I'm like, I don't know if you can see me on video. I'm not pausing this, by the way, but I'm like literally dying here. Like, like I need a tissue. Um, I don't care. I, I don't care if there's snot everywhere. I'm I'm continuing on with the podcast. I don't care. Uh, this morning, the governor was in a car accident while traveling to an event in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Brian Griffin, a spokesman for Mr. Santa's uh, presidential, presidential campaign, sent a statement. He and his team are uninjured. We appreciate the prayers and well wishes of, his, of the nation and for his continued protection while on the campaign trail. A spokesman for the Chattanooga Police Department said that Mr. Santa's four-car motorcade was traveling behind a Tennessee Highway Patrol vehicle on Interstate 75 on Tuesday morning when an accident had caused traffic to suddenly slow. Uh, the article continued by saying the following. Um, the highway patrol car braked sharply, and although the lead vehicle in Mr. DeSantis' uh, motorcade was able to step without hitting it, all four of the campaign vehicles ended up piling into one another. Only vehicle in the governor's motorcade were involved, and the police were called around at 8.15 a.m. According to the police spokesman, Kevin West, I don't think they were going real fast, Mr. West said. Still, three of the cars in the miserable, and, sorry, still three of the cars in the motorcade had to be towed away. He said, Mr. West said that a female staff member had suffered what he described as minor injuries, but he added that she was able to attend the event alongside Mr. DeSantis. The campaign said that the staff member was assessed on site by medical personnel and cleared to depart and later said and later said she was uninjured. All right, that was a mouthful, and I'm sorry you had to go through all that. But overall, I wish the car accident finished the job. I wish the accident finished the job and we could see Ron DeSantis be signed. No, I'm kidding. 
all jokes, guys. <laughs> all jokes. I'm clearly joking. I have no ill will to Ron DeSantis. I'm sure he's a great guy. But um, overall, with the DeSantis thing, I would say the following. I mean, I already said it in the beginning. He's a spoiler candidate. That's all he is. He's just there to siphon votes away from Trump. He's not doing a great job. He's not doing a great job. I mean, he had to lay a third of his staff off. Uh, they were not getting proper pay or proper benefits, which you would think for an individual that cares about like American main manufacturing and American excellence that he would adequately pay his own staff, right? If you're running for president, you got to pay your own staff, right? Like if you're going to be on your high horse about American morality and the morals in America and how we should stay away from China and manufacturing in China and, you know, focus on building talent within America, you got to compensate your own talent then. You know, like if that's your go-to message for your campaign, then make sure that you can pay your staff workers because they're the ones that are sending out the tweets that are making your videos. I mean, obviously his videos are not that great. You know, I feel I feel as if there are a few Trump spies within the DeSantis campaign. I, I don't want to accuse them of doing that, but I can help but notice that all of his campaign videos are so horribly shot and they do him no favor. So if he's laying off those people, then I completely 100% understand it because I do feel as if there are a few Trump spies within his campaign. But overall, if you do want to prioritize on American excellence and American ingenuity and supporting American talent, then why lay off a third of your staff? Why? Why do that? Now, if they're not fulfilling their own end of the bargain, then so be it, right? I mean, there are certain campaign videos of his that make no sense whatsoever. And I'm like, what editor spliced this campaign footage up? When you, when you see DeSantis's run for president and that video that came out where he announced him running for president, that video was just a montage of Elon Musk. That's all it was. It was just Elon Musk at events and, and, and speaking and just these glam shots of Elon Musk. There were no shots of Ron DeSantis speaking to common folks. There was there were no there were no shots of Ron DeSantis really making a concerted effort that he was the guy to run for president. None of that. None of that. It was none of that. It was all shots of Elon Musk. So it's like, are you running a campaign off of Elon Musk's name? Or are you running it off of your own name? Because you can only do so much with Elon Musk's name. Right? Like the only people that really love Elon Musk are his own fanboys and then people that like religiously watch the Daily Wire. That's all it is. And you can't really build a movement out of that. You can move build a movement because of that. So again, I don't know what his fan base is. I really don't know. He keeps on using the word woke, 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 woke. And it's gone to the point now where I really don't know if he can define the word woke. I really don't like there's so and I think Trump also said that as well where it's like there's so many people that just use the word woke as a way to describe something that they, they don't really enjoy or they find to be gay uh, but they don't know how to accurately define the word and it's gone to the point now where I feel as if DeSantis just used that uses that word as filler where it's gone to the point where it really has no meaning you use a word so much where you just stop associating that term or that word with said meaning, right? It's like using the word gay. If you use the word gay so often, you're not gonna attach it to somebody's lifestyle. You're just gonna use it as something that's dumb or cringe. 
like for me like i use the word gay a lot like when i when i don't like something i'll say oh yeah that's gay you know that's and i i grew up like that i grew up in boston so obviously that like that's a word that we would just throw around liberally to describe things that were cringe inducing or that were just flat out gay you know so for me it, i've lost the meaning of that word i don't really describe that as as a hateful term against gay people like i don't or as a, a demeaning term against gay people it's just like something that i just use liberally to like describe something that's cringe you know so that, i feel like that's what DeSantis is doing with the word woke where he's using it so much where i've sort of not associate that term with what it actually is and that's his overall campaign is that he's just fighting woke and fighting in crt and dei and all these sort of like buzzwords and acronyms and it's again certain parts of it i don't necessarily disagree with but that shouldn't be the focal point of your campaign you know the average individual does not care about you know the, the most pressing issue for an individual is not crt it's can I make sure that, you know, I have enough money for my social security so that when I retire, I can retire with with ease. You know, I can retire knowing that there's a little bit of money left for me that I put in. You know, is there enough Medicare for me that if I get into a car accident that cripples me, I'm not put into medical bankruptcy? You know, that's the overall focus that I think people have now. And it's, it's not on woke. It's not on that. You know, it, it always... It's always interesting to see what Republican candidates fight over, right? And not just Republican candidates, just candidates in general. I mean, think about Vivek Ramaswamy, right? Vivek Ramaswamy's bill is focused on building an importance on having faith in your country and having faith in what makes this country great, such as family. And overall, I don't disagree with that. Like, I think, you know, having faith in your country is great. You know, being able to have a family is great. You know, believing in God, great. All that's great. All of what he's saying is great. But it's not applicable in terms of building policy. You can't put that on paper and sign it through the House and, and Senate and spearhead it through the president. Like, you can't do that. That's not something that you can put on paper. You know what you can put on paper? Having people be able to have access to Medicare. Making sure that, you know people have the ability to have access to social security when they retire you know that's something that he couldn't really expand on you can really ex uh, focus on social security expansion you know expansion expansion through medicare expansion through allowing individuals to have more opportunities you know i mean that's what you can really do you know you, you can't just say oh we got to focus on family and focus on building you know strength through a country because again while i don't disagree with that it's not something that you can really put down on paper. So, again, I feel as if for a lot of Republican candidates, they don't, or for candidates in general, I don't want to just limit it to Republicans. I feel like Democrats also have a hard time doing this as well. But strictly for the candidates within the primary and the Republican side, they have a lot of issues that I don't necessarily disagree with, but they don't have a lot of policies that they can really, like, focus on. Right? When you think about Donald Trump, his focus was on isolationism, ending free trade. You know, ending the wars. You know, that was sort of what he was trying to build off of. You know, the wall. You know, these are policies that really caught steam for a lot of people. Um, and even today now, I mean, you don't hear Trump saying that he's going to, you know, end Social Security and Medicare. Because he understands that his base does not want that. You know? Whereas with, not say DeSantis per se, but with, you know, Nikki Haley or with Asa Hutchinson or Doug Burzum or, you know... 
Tim Scott, you know, they, they, these are all individuals that are focused on ending Medicare and Social Security. I'm like, these are not favorable positions whatsoever, you know. With DeSantis, I feel like he's a little bit better on that issue. Like, you know, he's in favor of keeping Medicare and Social Security for what they are. He's from Florida, so he knows a lot of individual, individuals that need Social Security and Medicare. So, and obviously, if you're against Social Security and Medicare, you're, you're going to lose in Florida. You just are. Um, but, you know, he's also against the war in Ukraine and, you know, not wanting to fund more Ukraine, Ukraine, more of Ukraine, which I think that's great. You know, so he's good on certain issues. But, you know, there are others where I'm like, you're just over relying on this where it's no need. You know, it's like with Mike Pence and abortion, right? Like Mike Pence's review on abortion is not well liked at all for the majority of country. It's not. And that's going to be what cripples his campaign. That will cripple his campaign. And with DeSantis, I feel like he just uses the word woke so many times where I'm like, just focus on the issues. Don't focus on this. It makes no sense to. Uh, but anyways, it's good to see him back. Uh, it's good to see that the car crash didn't take him because I'll be honest with you, there are, there are more, a lot more other candidates that deserve to have been involved in that car crash and should have resulted in more fatal injuries than, say, Ron DeSantis. I'm not going to name names because that, that would be a threat on those people, and some of them are elected officials, so I don't want to say any of that, and I don't want to get restricted on YouTube. As it is, my YouTube videos are not that great. They're not that great whatsoever. But I will say that it is interesting to see uh, all of this, all of this happen. So um, I don't know if this is the FBI or CIA. I, I don't know if this was done by... An, an intelligence agency uh, telling DeSantis, hey, cut cut the crap, you know, follow our program, follow our lead. I don't know if this was a wake-up call for Ron DeSantis to do that. I don't know. It's politics. It's a messy game out there. You know, I mean, there are a lot of candidates that all of a sudden, you know, get freak illnesses. I mean, Bernie Sanders got a freak heart attack. And I'm like, when that happened during the campaign, I'm like, did something did somebody do something to him like did somebody from some alphabet agency do something to bernie like when that happened you know even De dennis kucinich i mean dennis kucinich was I, I think barack obama literally put dennis kucinich in a plane and literally had to talk to him to steer him away from voting to take troops away from the iraq war I'm pretty sure that did happen. I'm pretty sure Dennis Kucinich wanted to take troops away from away from Iraq, and Barack Obama had to sit him down on a charter plane and literally had to sway him from not doing that. That that's not fictitious, by the way. That actually did happen. So, again, politics is a dirty game, man. It's a dirty game, and who knows if this was intentional? You know, I don't know if this was a wake up call on Ron DeSantis. I really don't know, but um, yeah, I, I hope. I just hope that the debates are good. I want to see just Trump light up DeSantis. I want to see Trump light up Mike Pence for what happened on January 6th. I want to see him light up Nikki Haley. Because all these candidates, they're playing patty cake with Trump. You know, they're not going after him. They're, you know, just coasting on by. They're saying, oh, this is, you know, a campaign against Joe Biden. I'm like, yeah, but you're not, you didn't win the primary, right? Like, you're still fighting against Trump. You're still campaigning against Trump. Why are you setting your sight on Biden when you should be focusing on a guy that's trampling you in the polls, right? Like I heard that from Burzum. I heard that from Pence. I've heard that from Tim Scott. I'm like, no, no, no. Your, your numbers are in the single digits. Focus on reviving your campaign. 
take shots against Trump because Trump will take shots on you, right? And at this point in time, it's David and Goliath. He is Goliath now. He has the numbers. So if you go after Trump, that's actually beneficial for you because you're the smaller guy or woman or whoever in that instance. I don't know. I, I feel as if the Republican candidates are not doing a good job in terms of fighting Trump. They really aren't. They're failing on all fronts in the courts, and it's an issue. So anyways, um, I think that's where I'll leave it off on there. Um, I hope DeSantis can come back because it doesn't look like he's going to be in second place any longer. I feel as if Vivek Ramaswamy is really catching ground on him. I feel as if the podcast appearances that Vivek Ramaswamy has has done a lot for his campaign, whether it's, on, whether it's him on Dave Smith, whether it's him on John Stossel, or I think he, he sat down with... Uh, Breaking points yesterday as well. Um, I, I he's done a lot in terms of building a grassroots movement out of his own money. Like he's not being funded by. Uh, actually, I don't want to say that, but a lot of the money that's that he's campaigning on, it's because of him. Like he's a multimillionaire. He makes he's made a lot of money in his life through his you know venture venture uh, venture funds and you know through all the companies that he's created, um, but. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see what's come for the 2024 primary. And uh, hopefully DeSantis can bring it because I don't think he's bringing it as of this moment in time. Anyways, I think that's it for the podcast for today. Just light on the topics. Didn't really, really want to go that much. I, I'm cleaning my nose as soon as I get off the podcast because I, I, I just assume there's snot everywhere on my face. I just assume that there's a bunch of snot everywhere. But anyways, guys, I think that's all for the podcast for today, guys. Thank you so much for watching. Thanks, thank you so much for listening. Make sure you guys like, subscribe, and click the bell icon for notifications down below. Make sure you follow me on my podcast channel, my podcast clips channel, my stand-up channel. All the links are in the description box below. Make sure you follow me on my Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. Uh, I think Threads is done. I deleted Threads on my off my off my phone, so I'm like, okay, I'm done with Threads. This is dumb. This is. Yeah, this is just dumb. There's no reason for me to have threads. But anyways, follow me on my Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. Make sure you rate and review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Uh, And uh, if you can, make sure you can spread it through your group threads and through your uh, text chains. I think getting more and more people involved in this podcast is great. To get more and more people involved and invested is always a great idea. Um, I don't know if I'll be able to upload a YouTube short in regards to any of these topics because I don't really see the need to. Uh, I don't really like YouTube shorts. I don't think that that they're beneficial or helpful. Um, And plus, you just take yourself out of context. And it's like, why would I ever take myself out of context? You know, why why do that? Why subject myself to that pain and torture where people can't really hear my thoughts out in a well, clear, concise way? But anyways, um, that's it. That's all for the podcast for today. I'll see you guys on Tuesday. Uh, We'll talk more about our things that are happening in our political and societal realm, as well as things that are happening in the tennis world as well. Anyways, guys, that's it for the podcast for today, guys. Peace. See y'all.